How you doing this morning? It's good to be here with you and celebrating the Lord and being in His presence. Uh, really appreciated that worship service. It's excellent. Uh, before I get into the message, um, there's one more announcement I want to make. Um, most of you, are sure, I'm sure, are aware that Christmas has been co-opted by our consumer culture and become a feeding frenzy of just get, get, get. And uh, for the most part, people spend their money on their, their loved ones, family and their loved ones. That's where all the budget goes. We've always thought, last five years in particular have, have taught, that uh, if we're going to celebrate the birth of the king, we should do it the king's way, uh, in a way that honors him. And so we've been encouraging people to, uh, as they plan their Christmas shopping, to make space, make, make space in their budget uh, for those outside of their family, for those who are in need, people who are hurting. And so for the last five years, uh, we've had this, what we've, we've called the Making Space Campaign. And that's been about um, renovating our building so we can better host these ministries that we partner with here in the building uh, to serve the community. And so we've got some really incredible ministries here like the, the Food Shelf and uh, Job Training Program. Uh, we have a daycare uh, here that's run for uh, families with lower incomes and for women who are in battered shelters and um, uh, several homeless ministries, getting people into housing and things like that. So that's where our focus has been the last five years. Now, because of some really significant gifts the last six, seven weeks, that I'm sure some of you have noticed, um, we're, we're not able to cover that on our own. We're, we're still going to continue to renovate our building because we're exploring more partnerships with people, but we can cover that out of our own budget. So what we're going to do this year is, is a little bit different. Um, we've... we've uh, identified three really great ministries that we want to give to and uh, raise up $30,000 to help each of these ministries, $10,000 apiece. So here's who they are. One is Living Hope. This is a youth home in Puebla, 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 Mexico. Um, This is a long-term relationship we've had. For the last 18 years, we've sent mission uh, mission teams down there and work with this, this home. They get these kids off the street and they raise them, and it's a beautiful, beautiful ministry. Uh, they're right now uh, in the process of, of building a school that they need funding for. Up to this point, these kids have gone to school in tents. And whether it was hot or cold or windy or dusty or whatever, they, they had to meet in the tents. So this would give them a building to have their schooling in. So $10,000 we want to raise to go to Living Hope. Second ministry is COFED, which stands for the uh, Christian Operation for Health, Education, and Development. And uh, this great ministry, I know the folks who, who run this, and they're just, they're just beloved people. Uh, they do community development in four villages in southern Haiti. Up to this point, four villages, they're going to expand. Um, their idea is that they want to empower the local folks uh, to become self-sufficient. They've got the right view of missions and that it's much better to teach people how to fish than it is to keep on giving them fish. And so they empower people to be self-sufficient. And they have just renovated these four impoverished villages in some beautiful, beautiful ways. Well, they need an office space and a training center and, and it would serve some other purposes as well. And so we want to raise up $10,000 to help them in that project. The third one is a ministry called ARC. You may not have heard of this. It's a Minnesota-based ministry that does service ministry in Syria for refugees in the refugee camps. This is right now the world's worst humanitarian crisis, and I'm sure all of us have heard some things about it. I, I know a person who's on the ground over there in Syria, and he, he, he says the only word that describes it is hell. It, it, it's, it's hell on earth. Um, you've got all these warring factions, and the folks, the, the innocent families in the, get caught in the middle of it, 
and tragedy happens on a daily, daily basis. And that's why about half the population of Syria has now fled because it's just an impossible living situation there. These folks have been desperate. They get on boats that, that are way overcrowded. Thousands die because the boats capsize. Thousands of others starve to death. Thousands die from diseases that are rampant in this camp. And these folks now are, are just caught in these no-man land, these, these, these makeshift refugee camps that are, are just deplorable in terms of their living conditions, and they've got nowhere to go. They're trying to get in different places. Very few are successful. And then top it off, in light of this uh, recent attack in Paris, um, a lot of Americans have grown fearful of Syrian refugees. One of them apparently uh, was carrying a passport. Uh, seemed to sneak into the country as a refugee. And so now uh, there's a big debate going on right now about whether America should open its doors to them or not. And so these folks are just caught in this total no man's land. And the thing is, we can't fix government. We can't take the fear away from American people. But we as the body of Christ can do what we're called to do, and that is to replicate the love of Jesus Christ by sacrificing for people. Amen? Amen. So, yes. Amen. So, so uh, $10,000 uh, of this is going to go to these folks. And so we just ask you to pray about this. Um, we're, we're in a series, we're, we're getting a series today called The Night That Changed the World. Uh, and, and so we're going to call this campaign The Gift That Changed the World. You can read more about this uh, out in the gathering area at the information table. We've got uh, these brochures like this. And uh, you can find out what that's about and how to give and be a part of that. So please pray about that. So today, every series will be called Something That Changed the World, and today we're going to focus on peace, the peace that Jesus brought, peace on earth, goodwill to people, right? Uh, it's what the Christmas thing is all about. And I'd like to start by showing a little clip of a movie that I suspect a few of you have seen. Check this out. <laughs> all right. A classic. I just, uh, Friday night, watched that once again with my grandkids, and uh, they just love the slapstick humor uh, in that show. And actually, I always forget that it packs a really good emotional punch, too, though. You know, that last scene of the thing, you start getting all choked up. Well, there you go. Uh, does that look familiar to anybody? Scenes like that around Christmas. I, I, when I think of my... Christmas is raising my small kids. Um, I have a lot of really wonderful memories, fantastic memories. I have a lot of memories that look something like that as well. Uh, our little boy, Nathan, I've, I've shared with you before, uh, he has high-functioning autism. And the, just the, the intensity of, of uh, opening presents, the excitement, it was, was always too much for him to bear. And more often than not, way more often than not, in fact, almost always, in fact, really always, he'd have a meltdown. The intensity was just too much for him. I remember this one Christmas, Shelly and I had done everything we could to just sort of stage a hallmark moment, right? It's with a tree, just, this perfect tree, so nice, so well decorated, and it's out there on Christmas morning, and, and the packages we got out, and, and they're arranged just so nice, you know, and we got some nice uh, Christmas music on, ongoing, background kind of stuff. Uh, uh, have yourself, Bing Cosby. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Make the Yuletides gay. From now on, your troubles will seem miles away. And to this day, I don't know what a Yuletide is, and I don't know how to make it gay. So I, I, it, it's, it just doesn't land with me. But so that, that's going on. And you're, uh, it says our troubles are going to seem miles away, but our troubles started right out of the gate. 
Uh, the kids didn't go to bed uh, early enough. They stayed up too late, and they got up too early, and that's never a good prescription for, for peace. Uh, so they gather on the tree, and uh, I like to have just a short, very short, very, very, very short reflection about what Christmas is about before we dive in and feeding frenzy with the presents. And so I wanted to just have a little thought about what we're doing here and a little prayer. Nathan would have none of it as he's looking at these presents. He's just wanting to get in there. And, and the idea of waiting 30 seconds was just torture for him. So he starts to complain and starts to whine. So I try to explain to him why it's so important to, explain, you know, to, to, to acknowledge Jesus on his birthday. And I'm trying to explain a little theology to him. And he's just getting worse and worse. After about a minute or two of this, one of his sisters say to him, Nathan, if you would have just let, let Dad pray that stupid prayer, we'd be opening presents by now. So then he gets mad at her, and they start fighting. So I get in there and try to break that up. A minute or two later, Shelly comes over to me and says, Honey, this isn't going very well. Why don't you just let him open the presents? I mean, do you think that you're really going to? You know, by forcing Jesus, I'm forcing him to think about Jesus right now, are they going to love Jesus more when they get older? Uh, let's just let him open it. And I was he's like, No, that is so pagan. It's totally pagan. And we could be setting a precedent here. We do this now, and, and we'll never think about Jesus again. So we have to establish something here. This is warfare. <laughs> but within a couple of minutes, I realized she's totally right. If I have any hope of a Hallmark moment, I've got to recover this thing. So uh, just to ease my own guilt, I go, thank you, Jesus. Happy birthday, Jesus. Go ahead. Let's open the presents. That was our benediction. So while they're still fighting, they start go, opening presents. And I think because we had just forsaken Jesus, a curse fell on our house because things went from bad to worse. Um, Nathan, he, first of all, he couldn't open his, he couldn't unwrap his present because he's, he's trying to, to, too fast. And then after he finally gets that open, he, he can't get the toy out of the box. And so he's getting more frustrated about that. When he finally gets the toy out of the box, he can't get it to work. And so he's really getting frustrated. So I go over to try to make it work, but of course I can't make anything ever work. And so I try to get him interested in a different gift. Hey, look at this big gift. Oh, this could be a ninja turtle. Ninja. He had nothing to do with it. That was one of his problems. He'd obsessed on the first thing he opened, and so he's fixated on it. So he's going, you know, he's, he's going towards nuclear at this point with this whole thing. Another point, the sister says to him, why do you have to ruin all of our Christmases? So they start going at it again. So I start going in as a referee trying to say, you know, hey, don't, just leave him alone. You're making matter worse. You're pouring gasoline on a fire. And it's just getting to be mayhem, getting louder and louder. And no one can hear the Merry, uh, have yourself a Merry Christmas anymore. It's long drowned out. And then... Uh, the coup de grace was that my father, my dad, was up visiting us this Christmas. And uh, he was old and a little crotchety and never was very patient with kids to start with. And this is the guy I've shared before who could put together a paragraph of swear words without a single clean word in between. It was he, on the spot. He, just, he was the most creative cursor. I've, so he at one point just says, this house is too blankety blank, 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 noisy. Will, you, will, will somebody shut that blankety blank kid up? Tell that kid to just shut that blankety blank up. And it was kind of like when that guy says, you jerk. All of a sudden, there's silence. And now we hear, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Your troubles will see miles away. <laughs> Whenever I broke the record. No, I didn't. But uh, yeah, it's all oh, the joy of Christmas. See, this is the thing about this season. It, it's, uh, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, and yet it tends to be, the, for many people, the most stressful time of year. And it's all about celebrating the, the Prince of Peace. Uh, the one who was supposed to bring peace in this world. Uh, that's the irony of it. And there's a lot of stressors around this time of year. The, 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 there's the stress of, I like to call it uh, hall, hall, hallmark mythology. 
It's that idea that we, we, we were given out the commercials of this lovely family, the godly family. They actually pray before they dive into a feeding frenzy on the presents, and they don't have a feeding frenzy. Their children are smiling, and they open the presents one by one, ever so calmly, and, they, and then they take time to give thanks to the person who got it for them, and there's love in the air and the sweetness, and they can actually hear the Christmas music in the background. So you get this picture of this ideal family, and now you have this Hallmark family, and you realize your family is not that Hallmark, and it indicts you. In fact, that's what was going on with me when I was trying to get the kids to do this reflection here. It wasn't about them. It was about me. I feel guilty if I don't do something for Jesus on this day. I don't want to be pagan. And so you feel indicted, and that adds stress to your life. We see our unhallmark families at a time when we're supposed to be hallmark. And then we want our kids all to have a hallmark moment. We want this to be a special moment, a memorable moment, so that when they're 20 and 30, they'll reflect back on their wonderful Christmases as their children, and instead of looking back and saying, man, are we glad that's over. Uh, you know, so you try to create a hallmark moment. That adds stress to your life. Then you've got to find that right present for everybody, that one right present. Little daughter's been so good this year. She's so cute, and she's been so good. And the only thing she really, really, really wants is that Fisher-Price Dance and Move Bebot toy. The trouble is that every other little girl on the planet wants that same toy. And you being the irresponsible parent that you are, you didn't start your Christmas shopping in July like you're supposed to. And so now you get on there and try to find the Fisher-Price Dance and Move Bebot toy, beat bow, whatever it's called, and, and uh, you, there's, they're out of stock. So now you got to start, with, with a lot of stress going on, start searching the stores frantically to find that Bebot toy. And they're all out, and you search the country, and you finally find some little podunk loser store in the middle of North Dakota to have it shipped to you. Because uh, those farmers don't even know about Bebot toys or whatever. So, but it adds stress, finding the right present. It, it's... it's and then there's the stress of, of preparing the food and preparing the house for the, all the guests to come over, the family to get together. And for a lot of folks, just having the family get together is stress because that's the time when all of those wonderful dysfunctional things come to the surface. <laughs> and you had to grow up with... So there's all these stressors. And then as you get older, there's a different kind of stress for some people. Uh, Christmas always marks... It's kind of a benchmark of the year. And it reminds you of how many Christmases have gone by... And as you get older, it reminds you of how few you have left. And that can be a stressor for folks. It can also be a depressor if as you look back on the Christmases past, you see that it hasn't been a hallmark life. So all that is, is, is one more stressor. And this year, there's, there's yet another stressor for some folks. Um, there's that fear of terrorism in the air. And this might be one that's going to be around for a couple of Christmases, maybe for into the unforeseeable future. Um, you know, there, where people are aware of that. It's the randomness of the thing that, that, that scares people. At any time, a mall could be blown up. All it takes is one person who wants to kill a lot of people and is willing to die for it. They walk into a mall because malls are soft targets, and bam! Anytime, anywhere, and so it could be you and your family as you're in this mall. And for some folks, that adds a stressor. There's all these stressors at this most wonderful time of the year. And the irony is that it's all in, to be done in the celebration of the one who is the Prince of Peace. Uh, I, I, that, that phrase, the Prince of Peace, it comes uh, out of Isaiah. It was a prophecy that was given about 800 years before Jesus was born. And he, he, here's what he says. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the ruler of peace. He rules by peace, and wherever he rules, there is peace. And this is the one who was born in a manger. That's why when, he, when, when, when he's born, the angels announce peace on earth, goodwill towards humankind, those upon whom God has favor. He's the bringer of this, this peace. 
And we find in the New Testament, throughout the New Testament, reflected in a wide variety of ways, uh, this the same kind of peace, the peace that Jesus brought. Here's an important verse. It's uh, Philippians. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything. Everyone say anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Oh, but Paul, you're no about terrorists. He did. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Um, Paul is writing this when he's in prison. He's been imprisoned, and he's facing possible execution. So I'm thinking he knew a little bit about what it is to be in a stressful situation. And yet in that situation, in prison, facing possible execution, he talks about this peace that transcends all human understanding. It's the peace of God that can guard our hearts and our minds as we are in Christ. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, is, is this. Um, how do we have access to that peace? How do we access that peace that transcends all understanding? And how do, how do we, like Paul, uh, allow that peace to guard our hearts and to guard our minds? It's a peace that Paul says that, that uh, we can have in all situations. How do we access that? Now, the answer to that is given right in the text. Because Paul says, let the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ. In Christ is, is, is the all-important clause here. It's as we are in Christ. Christ is the Prince of Peace, and where Christ rules over a life and over a people, he rules by peace, and, and, and they enter his peace. He gives them their peace. It's the peace of God, the peace that characterizes God himself, the peace and the wholeness and the shalom of God's own triune being. That comes into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we are in Christ, as he, as he reigns over us, as we submit to him, he brings his perfect peace, the peace of God. Now, somebody hearing this in this auditorium, I'm thinking, I'm not going to say I have a word of knowledge, but I have a good suspicion, or at least somebody uh, on, on podcasts, probably everyone here is you know, completely peaceful about everything in life, but some podcasters might some have some anxiety, and so they might be wondering, um, poppycock, that's a load of poppycock, because I believe in Jesus, I believe Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but I'm on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Because my finances have tanked, or my husband just left me, or my wife just left me, or my kids are rebellious, and I can't hear the Christmas music, whatever. And you believe in Jesus. So, so you may be wondering, well, then why don't I have that peace when I'm a believer in Jesus? Now, I'm going to say two things about this. First thing is this. To believe that Jesus is the Prince of Peace is very different from being in the Prince of Peace. We experience the peace that the Prince of Peace brings, not by believing that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but by moving into that, by, by living in that. Um, is when our whole, when Paul uses this phrase in Christ, he's talking about like this new reality. It's the reality that Christ bought, where, where he stands in our place and we stand in him. And so it's when our whole being is in Christ, well, that's when we can experience perfect peace. It's not merely believing that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but it's as we abide in him. Uh, we, we experience the peace of the Prince of Peace when he actually is our Prince. Think about this. When he's actually reigning over our life. And so the, one, the prince who brings peace, when, we, when, when he reigns over our life, we enter into his peace. But it only happens when we're actually reigning in him. Uh, it, it, it's, it's not, it, it, to the degree that we're, we're under his reign, we'll experience the peace that he brings. But to the degree that we're not, we won't experience that peace, even though we believe that he is the bringer of peace. 
And he doesn't bring it to us because we haven't let him because we haven't submitted uh, our, our, our whole life to him. And so here's the thing. To, for Christ to reign over our life, we have got to, that means for kingdom people, we have to take a regular inventory to ask, does my life really reflect the reign of Christ? Uh, is every aspect of my life under the reign of Christ? Because to the degree that's not, we're going to find that instead of peace, we've got anxiety and stress and conflict knocking, knocking at the door. So we need to ask questions like this. Are our finances under the rule of Christ, under the reign of Christ? Are our finances submitted to Christ? Or have we found ourselves, maybe unwittingly, getting sucked up into a, a, a American consumerism? One of the ways to, to get at that question is to ask, are you content and do you give thanks for what you have? Or do you find yourself being more frustrated by what you don't have? The Bible tells us to be content in, in, our, in, in our situation. Um, do we seek the Lord's leading on how we steward our resources? Uh, you know, before major purposes, uh, purchases, do we, do, we, do we seek the Lord's will on things? In America, we're, we're kind of conditioned to ask two questions uh, for any major purchase. Do I want it and can I afford it? And if the answer is yes, you get it. But kingdom people need to ask a third question, and it's the most important question, and that is, does God want me to have this? You could very well afford this thing, but maybe God doesn't want you to spend the money in that direction. He wants you to direct it someplace else. Our, 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 our finances, our purchase submitted to him. Do we seek the Lord as to how much of our finances he wants us to enjoy for ourselves and our loved ones and how much we're, we're to, to give away to ministry and to helping others? So are our finances submitted to him? To the degree that, that our finances are submitted to him, we're going to find in that area there's, there's going to be peace. But to the degree that they're not, we're going to find that there's anxiety and, and stress and conflict knocking at the door. And we need to ask this question. Are our priorities and our time submitted to Christ? Our priorities and time. Uh, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your highest priority. And so we need to ask, are we in fact, is our highest aspiration to manifest the kingdom to the world and to advance the kingdom in the world? And are we making quality time, the way that we budget our time? Um, are we making quality time for our family? Are, are, do we have quality time alone with Christ? where we just enjoy him enjoying us, where we hang out with Christ and let him love us as we love him. Because, folks, that's the center of the kingdom. That's where the fire of our love gets ignited and, and everything in the kingdom runs on that fuel. Are we making time for, for Christ in our life? And do we have Sabbath time? A time where, where we just relax and we just rest, um, where we can maybe exercise, where we can just have fun. Uh, this is a way more important value than most people realize. Human beings aren't meant to be human workers. We're human beings. We're, we're supposed to be, uh, enjoy life, and, and have, have fun, and, and, and it's not all supposed to be work. Are we carving out time for that? It's really essential. Time to have fun. Partying is part of life. Jesus did it, and we're supposed to follow his example. So if you want a good party, next Friday, Andy Weiss playing at the dugout in Montemiti at 8.30, so come along and party down. You need it. Get out. Have fun. Kick off the holiday season in the right way. Okay, there's my advertisement. And then, then we have to ask, are our are relationships, are they submitted to the reign of Christ? Are our are, 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 are relationships balanced? Where the folks that, are most into, that we're most intimate with, that we're most close to, that they get the quality time? And do we have proper boundaries around mere acquaintances so that they're not robbing time from our, from our quality relationships? See, this is a really important point because these days with social media, the opposite's happening. I read about this where, where more and more people are investing their, their time in acquaintances 
and shortchanging the quality of relationships because they want to have you know, 15,000 people like them on Facebook or whatever. It's kind of a popularity contest that's going out there. And so they invest time in that, but the quality of relationships with their spouse and their kids and their close friends, those are going by the wayside. Uh, are relationships balanced? Do we have some kingdom relationships in which we're doing kingdom ministry? Um, are, are, those who are in romantic relationships, are your relationships honoring God? Or have you been seduced into accepting the kind of loose morality of our pagan culture? Do our relationships honor God? Are our our relationships, that's really hard to say, are our relationships, are our relationships, are they account free? Are they account free? Well, I mean by that this, uh, have we forgiven all that needs to be forgiven? Or are we holding on to resentment? And have we tried to reconcile with those that we're not reconciled with? And all you can do is try. Forgiveness only takes one, is a one-way thing. You release a, a debt. But reconciliation takes two, and the other person might not want to, and that's not on you. Um, but um, have you tried? Have you offered it? So to the degree that we find that our relationships are, are under the reign of Christ, in accordance with the reign of Christ, consistent with the reign of Christ, we're going to find that there's peace in those relationships. And... Uh, um, and we're enjoying the, 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 the peace that the Prince of Peace brings. But to the degree that they're not, just as with our time and our priorities and our finances, we're going to find that there's anxiety and stress and conflict knocking at the door. So we have to do, regularly take inventories about our life. Our, is everything under the reign of Christ? The second thing I want to say is actually more fundamental. That's uh, the foundation of this one, actually. To have Christ reign over our whole life is not just about having our outer world consistent with Christ, our relationships, time, priority, and money. It's more fundamentally about our inner world, about our hearts and our mind. Are they under the reign of Christ? Um, are they defining us? See, for, for, the, for, for the Prince of Peace to guard our hearts and minds, our hearts and minds have got to be anchored in the, in the Prince of Peace. Um, we have to let him be Lord over our inner world, uh, Lord over our identity, our, our worth, our sense of worth, our sense of well-being, our, our, our sense of security. It, we only experience the peace that the Prince of Peace brings when the Prince of Peace is the source of our peace, our inner peace. We only experience the peace that the Prince of Peace brings when he is the source of our identity and our worth and sense of security, our sense of wholeness, our sense of being fully alive. To the degree that that is true, we'll find that we have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. But to the degree that we don't, we're going to find that we, we, we lack that peace. Uh, this is why Paul says that this peace transcends all understanding. It, uh, it, it's a peace that isn't dependent on conditions. It's dependent only on, on, on Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. And so those who understand peace to be something that is circumstantial, that comes from circumstances, they don't understand this kind of peace. It transcends those things. So here's the thing. When you're calm because your circumstances are calm, that's not, that doesn't transcend understanding. That makes perfect sense. Right? That's reasonable. You know, when you're having yourself a very Merry Christmas and you've made the Yuletides gay, whatever that means, and, and you, you've, you know, your kids are getting along and your family loves one another and no one's pulling each other's hair out and there's no scribbing going on and you were able to find that, that Fisher-Priced dance and move bebop toy and so your daughter's going to have a wonderful Christmas and, and uh, you can actually hear the Christmas music going on and your finances are all stable and secure and you didn't overspend and uh, your health is doing fine and you're not afraid of terrorists blowing you up, well then of course you're going to be at peace because your circumstances are peaceful. There's nothing mysterious about that. That's, that's a circumstantial peace. 
You're getting your peace from your circumstances. But as soon as the circumstances change, that peace goes out the window. When, when your wonderful Hallmark family is no longer Hallmark, and the, the Hallmark moment is gone, and the kids are fighting and screaming, and, and it's all mayhem, and you can't hear the Christmas music, and you couldn't find that stupid Fisher-Price Bebot toy, and, and, and you're, you're, you just found out that you've got cancer, and, and your husband just left you, and your finances are taking because the bear market sucked up your 401k, and, and you really are afraid of terrorists every time you go shopping. Well, now you don't have any peace because your peace was anchored in those things, and now it's gone. That's not the peace of God. That's not the peace that passes all understanding. If you have those things, you have peace, but that's just a reasonable kind of peace. That's the world's kind of peace. That's the peace that comes and goes. But see, the peace that Christ brings, it transcends understanding because it transcends circumstances. It's based on the Prince of Peace himself. It's based on Jesus Christ. And while everything in this world can, cha will, will, can change and will change, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise God. Uh, you know, Hallmark families come and go. Sad as it is, that happens. Hallmark moments come and go. Sometimes you can find the toy your kid wants. Sometimes you can't. Uh, your health is here today, but it can be gone tomorrow. Your finances can be here today. It can be gone tomorrow. Your job can be here today. It can be gone tomorrow. Everything around you, all the circumstances, they're all iffy. They're all transitory. They all change. But praise God, in this flux of change, in this fallen world, there's one thing you can count on that is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that's the Prince of Peace. And when, you're, when your life and your worth and your significance and your security and, 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 and your heart and mind are anchored in him, well, then you have access to that peace that never changes. And that's why it transcends all understanding, praise God. What a treasure he's given us. What a treasure he's given us. We have access to that kind of peace. Now, here's the thing. To have your heart and mind anchored in Christ, to have your sense of identity and worth and significance anchored in Christ, making him the source of it, means we can't have it anchored in anything else. This is kind of an all or nothing thing here. Uh, to have your worth and to have Christ as the source of, of your sense of worth and, and identity it means you can't be getting it from your circumstances, which means we have to die to the way the world normally does life. The way normal people do life is their sense of identity and worth and significance and peace is all based on circumstances. That's all they know. They may believe other things, but what they actually do is they lean on the circumstances. We are called to die to that. Die to getting life from anything around us and getting our significance and source and security from anything around us. This is what the Bible means when it talks about dying to yourself. And it says that quite a bit, actually. So Jesus, at one point, he, he tells us, uh, those who try to save their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is part of what he's getting at. You've got to lose that, that life. If you're trying to save your life, what he's getting at is this. We try to save our life when we try to, on our own power, control our circumstances so that we will be peaceful and happy and have well-being and all of that. We try to, we try to make it happen. So we try to make the Hallmark moment. We try to force the Hallmark family. It's a source of life for us. And if we have that, we'll have peace. If we don't, we're not going to have peace. And so we try to control our circumstances, and, and we try to feel secure on the basis of how, much, uh, how our bank account's doing and how our 401k is doing. And that's the source of our security. And we try to feel worthwhile and significant because we're going to get that job promotion or because we're going to get that bigger house uh, or because we get accolades for the good job that we just did or because people notice how smart we are or how pretty we are or how talented we are or how godly we are. And if you save your life, if you can actually acquire those things, well, you'll have a little bit of peace. But it's a circumstantial peace. And as soon as your Hallmark family blows up, and as soon as your health blows up, and your finances tank, and as soon as 
You're not, you can't find the Fisher-Price Bebot toy. And as soon as you don't get a job promotion or when no one thinks you're smart or pretty or talented or godly or whatever, well, then, then it's gone. It's gone because it was circumstantial. And when circumstances change, that peace goes out the window. The peace that Christ brings is not like that. Think about it like this. If, if the reason why you feel okay as a human being, feel fully alive, feel secure, feel, feel have, have, have harmony within, if the reason is a reasonable reason, well, you're missing out on the peace of Christ. Because that doesn't transcend understanding. It's not the peace that the Prince of Peace brings. The only way to access the peace that the Prince of Peace brings is to stop anchoring your identity and worth and significance and security in anything in your circumstances. To, to just die to that. Uh, to, 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 if you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you'll find it. And to anchor all your mind and your heart, your worth in the person of Jesus Christ. When the Prince of Peace is really defining who we are, our very identity. Because whoever defines you is your Lord. Whoever defines you is your Lord. And so if we're defined by our circumstances, we are the victims of our circumstances. Our circumstances are Lord of our life. And it could be that your kids are Lord of your life, or your, your Christmas is Lord of your life, or your job is Lord of your life, or your recognition is Lord of your life. Whatever it is, it's an idol. Uh, it's only when Christ defines our identity and our significance and our worth and our security uh, that we can now enter the peace that he brings. And it's a peace that passes all understanding because it's not based on any circumstances. It's the kind of peace you can have even if you're in prison facing possible execution like Paul was. It doesn't matter whether, even whether you live or die because you're anchored in the one who never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, so here's the thing. I had an experience. I, I've shared this before, but I want everyone who's hearing this message this week to, to enter into this. Um, it's a spiritual exercise that I got actually out of a prayer, a prayer time a number of years ago. I call it the river exercise, and it's really a rehearsal for death. It's, I know it doesn't sound like much fun, but you know what? We, I, I encourage all of us to be rehearsing for death because whatever, if you want to be good at anything, you've got to practice it, and um, we should die well, and if you don't practice dying, then you're not going to be good at it. Okay, so this is a rehearsal. For, it's, it's, it's an imaginative one. I'm not going to actually <laughs> see how close to death you can get. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very helpful exercise, and it's, it's a way of entering into this piece. Here, here, I'll share what I experienced and what I redo in my mind every time I enter into this, this, this exercise, and then you can kind of apply it however it fits to you. Um, I, I first, as I was praying, I, I, I was, suddenly saw myself in my imagination. Imagination is the portal to the spiritual realm. That's it's a very important gift that God has given us. And so I, I saw myself, I, I was present and on this beach. And to my right, there's this, this uh, flowing river. To my left, I was aware that Jesus was there, though I couldn't see him. And it was a fall season. There's trees all around, and they're all full of color, which itself is kind of part of the, the meaning of this because there's a bittersweetness to fall, isn't it? It's so beautiful. Uh, but it, it's beautiful because everything's dying, <laughs> And so it kind of captures the bittersweet quality of death, especially here in Minnesota where we know that five months of death is coming. So, <laughs> so I, 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 it's, it's this fall time. And um, as I'm there, I all of a sudden then have in, in a series of pictures represented before me are things that are dear to me, uh, things that could potentially become a source of life for me, a source of peace, a source of my, my well-being. Um, and they're represented in different ways. Oh, and I also see to my left, beached on the, they're, they're on the beach next to me, are these rafts, kind of half in the water, half on the beach. And then I see before me all these things that, that are dear to me. 
Like, for example, the first thing I see are a bunch of books. And I just know that that represents kind of my love of ideas and my love of research and learning and writing and uh, debate and all that stuff. And it's good that I do that. I'm called to do that. But it could become a source of my identity. I feel good about myself because look what I can do. And it should never be that. And so what I know I'm supposed to do is go and pick up these books and put it on the raft and then push it down the river. And I watch it as it goes down the river and then it goes around the bend of the river and it disappears. I have to let it go. And see, it's a reversal for death because I'm going to have to let it go sooner or later anyways. And so I need to let it go now. I can still enjoy it, but I can never cling to it. I have to let it go. Death is simply the process of letting go of everything, right? And then coming face to face with Jesus. And so I push it down the river, watch it float away, and then I turn to Jesus and I say to him, you are enough. You are my everything. Like we sang about earlier, you are my, you're my everything. And then I see represented before me um, uh, some running shoes and uh, some, some medals and trophies. And that, when I first got this, this, this image, um, running was really important to me. I was running these ultra marathons, 50-mile, 60-mile races, 100-mile races. I was really into it, and that's good, that, that's, that's fine, but that could become, and I think at point did become kind of a source of life for me. I really feel good when I do really well. I didn't feel so good when I didn't do well, and it was part of my identity. And as much as you can enjoy something, it, nothing but Christ should form your identity and be a source of your well-being. And so I know that I'm supposed to put all of this and uh, take, take this, these trophies and and, and uh, running shoes and put them on the boat and send them down the river. And I watch them go around the bend. And I turn to Christ and I say, you are enough. You are my everything. Even if I lose that, I'll still be the same person because you define me, not the running. You define me, not, not, not the learning. And then I see all of my possessions represented in different ways. There's a little house and there's a little bank and a little car and some clothes. And I, I, I'm to take all of that and put that on the raft and push it down the river because someday I'm going to lose all of that. So I need to lose it now. I need to die to myself now. That's what it is. You, you die. We're, 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 to be a, a disciple is to be an animated zombie. <laughs> you're dead to everything, but now you're fully alive in Christ. Right? So all, nothing clings to you, and you cling to nothing. And I turn to Christ, and I say, you are enough. And then it gets harder, significantly harder, as I see all my dearest friends come before me. And they, they look at me with this kind of bittersweet look. Uh, there's a smile they know what's going on, and they know this is impermanent, but they also know they have to say goodbye, and I have to say goodbye to them, because I will have to someday. And I'm supposed to live life doing that now. And so they, I, I kind of motion towards the raft, and they all volunteer to get on the raft, and I push the raft down the river, and as they go around the bend, they just kind of wave goodbye. And I wave goodbye to them, because I'll have to someday. And then I turn to Christ, and I say, you are, you are enough. You are my everything. As wonderful as it is to have very close friends who love you and you love them, and that's good, but they shouldn't be part of your identity, the reason why you feel good about yourself, the core sense of worth that you have, or, any, or a core sense of security. Only Christ should be that. And you only have the peace of Christ to the degree that we make that transition. And then the hardest one was when I had to watch my kids come before me. And now when I do this exercise, my grandkids are before me. And then my wife comes before me, and they also have this kind of bittersweet smile. They know what's going on. And there's a beauty to this. There's also a sadness to this. And uh, I have to ask them to get on the raft. And I push the raft down the river. And I, <laughs> I watch them as they fade away, and as they're about to turn around the, turn the bend, they all wave goodbye to me. Because someday they will. I'll have to say bye to them, and they'll say bye to me. 
And that's what death is. And then we come face to face with our maker. And the question is, is have we lived in a way where we say, and we, we actually live this way, you are enough. You are my everything. Because as beautiful as it is to love your kids and to be loved by your kids and love your grandkids and be loved by your grandkids and to love your spouse and to be loved by your spouse, as beautiful and good and wonderful as that is, it shouldn't be your core identity. Identity shouldn't be the source of your peace and well-being. You, should, you, you, should be, you need them in a, in, a, in a very human social way, but in terms of who you are, the, who you are should be the same because Christ defines you. And Christ defines you apart from circumstances and apart from all relationships. And whoever rules you, whoever defines you, rules you. And so he alone should be the source of who we essentially are, which means saying bye to everything else. And if you do this exercise, you'll find that there's a sadness to it. In fact, you'll find, you, you, this is a good way to discover what you're clinging to. Because you, you can't, put, you, you'll find it impossible to put that on, on, on the raft. Um, and then Christ in his love will empower you to finally let that go. But we, we learn what we cling to. As, as we have to let go of it. Um, and, and when you let go of it, you'll find that there's a, this peace that begins to come on you that transcends all understanding. It's the peace that can be there when you lose everything because you just lost it. It's the peace that comes on you when Christ is, in fact, enough and Christ is your everything. All the anxiety we have, all the stress, and ultimately all the conflict happens because we cling. We cling. Uh, and, it be, and, and things become part of our core, part of our identity, significance, worth, security. We cling. And see, the thing is, is when, when we're clinging to stuff, even when we have it, there's a kind of shallow peace we have because we have it. Okay, I've controlled my circumstances. I've saved my life. I've got it. But I, deep down, you know that you're going to lose it. Eventually, you lose. You have to, eventually, your hands will be ripped open. It's called death. And that produces an anxiety in people. A subterranean sort of anxiety, an angst that is always there and undermines the quality of our life. And the only way to get rid of that is to lose it now and to practice losing it now. And when you let go, and here's the, here's the irony, is that when you let go of all things, you find you're better at loving all things. Amen. Those loved ones, it, it, it made me feel like, oh no, I, I love them too much to let them go. But you'll find you can love them better when you're not clinging to them. When you're clinging to them, you're getting something from them. But when Christ is your all, now you can relate to them, not out of the neediness that you've got, but out of the fullness that you have, so you can actually flow into them. And, and there's a more perfect kind of love that, that happens when you're not needing people to be a source of your identity and worth and significance and security. When Christ fills all those roles, now you're free to love them as they really are. Now you're free in life. The only person who's truly free is the one who's already died. The only one who's truly free is one who's already died. Because now you're open to really getting the true life that comes from Christ. And that life is a life, the peace of which transcends all understanding because it transcends all circumstances. It is unchanging. It's anchored in the everlasting, never-changing, unwavering, always faithful, eternal God. Amen? That's the peace that Christ brought us. Amen? It's a, it, it, that is accessible to us. The question is, will we die? Will we die so that we can have that? Let go of everything. Put it on the raft. I encourage you to practice this on a regular basis. So regularly do an inventory to say, is, is everything in my outer world lining up with the rule of Christ? My time, my money, my resources, my priorities, my relationships, are they all in line with the rule of Christ? And then regularly do an inventory on your heart and mind. Am I letting go of all my circumstances as a source of my core, my identity? 
Is Christ my all? Is Christ enough? Amen. Would you stand? Uh, uh, if you are here this morning and have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to come forward and uh, uh, share that with some folks who will be up here by the stairs. If you're not a follower of Jesus but would like to learn about what that is involved, what's involved in all that, because you want that kind of peace that I've been talking about, come up here and talk to these folks by the stairs, and they'd be happy to share with you uh, uh, how to begin that walk with, with Christ. Father, I pray that as we leave here, we do it as a people who are constantly uh, sending down the river all the circumstances of our life, uh, all the relationships in our life, all the things that people normally cling to as a source. Help us to live free because we've died to the world. And Lord, help us to be uh, vigilant on making sure, uh, taking an inventory of everything that you've given us, uh, that we are, in fact, living it under your reign. Thank you, God, for being a God who gives us a peace that passes all understanding. May we find it. May we anchor ourselves into it. May we manifest it to this world full of stress and a season that's full of stress. Lord, may we transcend that by having your peace. In Jesus' name. And all God's peaceful people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go and be peacemakers.